0: Y'all got a bag of dirt when you came in, and right now you're thinking, why'd you give me a bag of dirt? Right? Anyone have a bag of dirt down here? Got a bag of dirt. Can I see one? Okay. You got one? Here, thanks, man. Don't, don't throw it. Okay. So everyone got one of these? No. No. Okay. If you didn't, I'm sorry. You should have. That's our fault. And I know what you thought when, you, when it was handed to you. You thought, you thought I, I try to clean up and get away from that stuff. And I come into church, and you all hand it to me. Now, if you think that's weird, imagine me and the team for two hours up there in the strawberry field on Thursday filling all those. Talk about poor time management. <laughs> and, but this is going to mean a lot, I think, to you in a second. And uh, yeah, So here you go, my friend. Um, let me ask you something. In John 9, there's this story, and you can turn there now if you want, this, this, this Bible story from when we're young. And a lot of you have heard it. It's about the blind beggar who sat on the side of a road. And I want to give you the quick biblical you know, Sunday school synopsis, and then we'll kind of go dig under it and say, okay, Lord, when it comes to the issue we're talking about t- today, how does it apply? And it will. And that little bag of dirt is going to come in handy. And some of you will actually keep it and hold on to it, I'm sure, because it will mean more to you. But there's a story about this blind beggar. And he sits at the side of the road. And you remember that the blind man sat by the side of the road and Jesus passed by. And the disciples, you remember, these, these supposedly loving spiritual followers of Christ or trainees, go, who, who caused this, Jesus? You remember? He said, who in the world caused this? Was this man's sin or was it his parents' sin? And then Jesus kind of walks a little farther and he probably stops. And I picture him going back and he goes, no, 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 this was not this man's sin or his parents. This was so that the works of God might be displayed. You remember what happens? He gets down and kind of spits and makes clay, puts it on his eyes and we all go, why did he do that? And then the man he sends to the pool of Siloam past Hezekiah's tunnel, and all the way down the south side of the city, says wash off your eyes, and he does, and he can see, and he comes bounding back into town, and then the neighbors and the parents and, and his religious leaders go, are you the same guy? He's like, yeah, I am. I was blind, but now I see. We all know that story. But let me go ahead right now and just ask you, and let's go get really open together, and let's just sit here and get really honest. We can talk about level four finances and level four marriages and all the things God wants us to do and be. Now, here's the thing. How many of us, though, a lot of times, although we're living for Christ and giving him everything or want to sit like the beggar on a dusty road, people around us pity us because there's tragedy in our life and pain and suffering. You walked in here and we just talked about something that we'll showcase a little later on, Memorial Day and out there there's a wall and every single one of those names on there represents a family member or a friend, someone in this body who died, that means that there was pain that surrounded that. You know, this last Wednesday night, almost 2,000 people gathered here because we have a girl who's 20 years old who, you know, seemingly life is, was going phenomenal, and she's beautiful. Miss Norco, going for Miss California, has a movie coming out, but we had her here, and she couldn't even make it because of her health, because leukemia has taken over and ravaged her body, and she's given a 30% chance to live, and I think all of us kind of go, and there was a revival of love around Nicole, but a lot of us go, God, how? And then we begin to ask those questions when it comes to finances and our pain and situations, and what do we say? We say, God, Why? God, where are you in this? God, is this what life was meant to be? And we can be level four, but there are times when we're laying in bed at night and the loneliness sets in and the pity sets in and the frustration sets in and the hurt sets in. Let's all get really, really clear for a second that we go, God, I'm sitting beside the dusty road. It's dirty and dry and lonely. People are walking by and don't even know and we put on these smiles and we walk into that door and we pretend like we're gun-ho Christians and meanwhile we walk out and we have this part inside of us that just questions everything. Have you been beside the dusty road? Are you today perhaps beside the dusty road? God's word has answers. God's word has hope. And we're gonna find it today. So if you have your Bibles in John 9, let's go ahead and pray. God, Lord, I pray right now as I stand here that every single person, as they look down, and I know this is my family, and I love them, and God, I've prayed for them for, for days now about this particular issue, and I, Father, I pray with all my heart, Holy Spirit, that you will move, that you will be here, that these will be your words and not mine. I pray even right now as they look down here that I'm erased from their mind and they begin to just trust in the great creator who designed the word to speak directly and wholly into their hearts. Father, please begin to move. Please begin to touch people. Help us understand that although there are circumstances in our life that have us beside a dusty road, Lord, we're not going to have to stay there. We get to stand up and we're going to get to have hope. I pray this in your name. Amen. You guys ready to go? Yes? Okay, John 9, verse 1. Now let's do this. Let's go underneath the story for a second. In verse 1, it says that Jesus passed by and saw this man blind from birth. Let's just look at two verses. He's blind from birth and look at verse 2. And it says, and, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, you know, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents that, that he would be born blind? And I think a lot of us, let's just go back into the first century time machine. You know, go back 2,000 years. Here's this man who's sitting there, and he's on the side of the road. Everyone in his life has pulled back from him, including his parents. And, well, you've got to ask the question why. They're still alive. And he's, he has Nothing and Jesus is the one that walks by and his disciples look and, and they, they look at him and you can see the pity in there real, there's a lot of compassion isn't there hey God what happened to this poor fool yeah, that's really loving isn't it what happened to this guy And they sit there, and God, and Jesus stops for a second, and and he begins to analyze the situation with them. We're going to go there in a second, but let me just ask you a question. Let's paint a real obvious, very, very obvious biblical point here. Isn't it true that society, our friends, our family, and us have a natural tendency when it comes to pain and suffering and tragedy to always focus on the pain and the suffering and the tragedy? You know, if you're an athlete, and you, pull, you, know, you sprain your ankle, but then all of a sudden you dislocate your shoulder. You can only feel one particular set of pain at a time. You forget about your ankle because your shoulder hurts so bad. And you begin to centralize around that. If you lay in bed at night, and a lot of you guys, you know, I, this is the worst. You lay in bed at night, and we have those times where our mind begins to reel as we go through every insecurity and anxiety and what if and fear about the things that are happening, the things that could happen. We lay in bed at wake at night, and no one knows. And what happens? When things are going good, we're able to decentralize. We're able to love people and we have a smile. When things are going bad, what do we do? Our myopic focus sets in and we can't get outside this bubble of pain that we're in. We just think, God, there's got to be more to life than this. It's amazing how often human nature constantly focuses on the pain of the dusty road. What happened here, God? Why is this happening, God? The same way the disciples asked is the same innate nature intrinsically that operates in all of us as humans. We are no different. I don't care if it was 2,000 years ago. I do it, and you do it. And you say, I'm not quite sure, Tony. I don't know if that's what's happening here biblically. No, let's ask some questions. How come the disciples walk by and they show theological interest, this idea of transmigration of sin or reincarnation, and they don't show any compassion? Sound familiar? This man's parents aren't dead, so are they, are they too impoverished to provide, or are they simply apathetic to the situation and kind of gave up on him? Sound familiar? Where is society or the first century welfare program to provide a shelter? Where are the religious leaders or those who claim to love God? The people who knew the law when it was said about poverty and taking care of the poor. I mean, over and over again, read Isaiah. These men, these, these Pharisees knew, where were they with this, with this man's issue? Sound familiar? But Jesus stops. And he says, that's what you guys see." Look at verse 3. Look what Jesus says. He says, no, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but, there's a big but there. That doesn't sound right. There's a but. It was, it was so that, two words, hold on to those two words, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So let's go here theologically for a second. You guys are an you know, incredibly spiritually mature crowd, and I love the fact on Sunday morning we can go here. There's a theological discussion about the so that. Jesus says, so that, and it's the idea of, it's it's a heine clause in in the actual text, and what it means is, it's taking one thought, connecting it to another thought that has meaning, and a lot of people, and I'll just give you the background on this, open theist and maybe the universalist camp, have a really, really hard time with this so that. Because if we look at this so that, what's our natural question? Jesus says, you know, the reason this has happened is so that God might have his works displayed, and everyone kind of goes, oh, I don't know about that. Because that would mean that actually God's involved in this man's pain and suffering. Listen to me. They have to work around it theologically. I'm going to say to you, I believe that that so that is so that is so that is so that is right there because John, 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 John wanted it, wanted it, wanted it, right there, right there, right there because God's word is inerrant, 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 and perfect, perfect, perfect. Now I'm going to tell you why. Now think about this. Now go here with me. <laughs> think Sometimes you do things and think that'll be online. But now go here. To think. If you, go here with me. I do not want to serve a God who works as the cosmic, you know, clock designer, who kind of built a clock, wound out the time, the hands of time of Earth, and then just kind of steps back and goes, okay, whatever happens, happens. I want to serve a God who steps into his eternity, who steps into his design and has intimate and sovereign interaction. Meaning that he was the same God who sent his son Jesus and for thousands of years before time and the dimensions we understand knew that he would walk along the dusty road that day, that day knew that the man would be sitting there, knew he'd enter and go below that little shaded shelter and see that man with his beard and his yellow teeth and his dry cracking skin who had never been touched and God would have a chance in that moment to work with his disciples and work with scripture and give us a design of a beautiful story. I want a God that's that sovereign And real and knows. Here's why He does not not cause pain. He permits pain sometimes because He wants us to be able to see His beauties, His purpose, and His grace. And I want you to begin to think about this. If you did not have struggles, if you and I did not have hardship, would we ever know what it means to have the beauty of the miracle and answered prayer? I'm thankful for my tragedy. I'm thankful for my dusty road, but I'm also more thankful that God has a purpose beyond that dusty road that goes beyond anything I can understand, because if this is the point of the end of understanding right here in front of me, I do not want to live this life anymore. When we truly trust in the divine mercies of our Jesus, we will no longer notice the dusty highways around us that might distract or keep us from plans, the social slights, the verbal put-downs, the trials, the financial distress or physical pain. It cannot control us anymore. We wear the world like a loose-fitting garment that touches us only in a few places. Does that mean that we're dead to feeling? No. Does it mean that we're without desire? No. The issue is not just feeling or desire, but right feeling and right desire. As a follower of Jesus, we will be deeply disturbed about many things. We will passionately desire many things, but ultimately they are not our things, they are his things. We trust his great plan to adapt his mercies to our struggles, calamity, poverty, or sickness. He permits these so we may understand even more the provisions of his mercy, the prizes of his blessing, and the beauty of his grace. The first time that I ever uh, met Taylor Evans was, we're in a midweek ministry, and we had this cafe, and I walk up before service, and I I just, I kind of run into her, and I didn't know who she was, and she's with this girl that I knew named Rebecca. And so I go up to her and I go, hey, Rebecca, how you doing? I wanted to meet her friend, you know, and and she's, oh, there's the picture of her right there. That's Taylor. And I meet Taylor and and, and I I look in her eyes and those beautiful brown eyes in that picture are actually really, really sad. And it was weird. Have you guys ever had that moment where you run into somebody for the first time and you shake their hand, you try to talk to them and they're kind of like offish? So you're like, is it me? Do I smell? Is it the lack of hair? You know, what's going on here? And I began to get a little insecure. Now, I was like, okay, what did I do? I don't know you. You don't, you don't know me. And I sit there for a second, and she looks at me, and her eyes go down again, so I start to walk away. And I said, okay, well, I guess she doesn't want to talk to me. And so, all of a sudden, I hear this little voice. And she goes, uh, Pastor Tony, it's good to meet you. And I'm like, yeah, it's good to meet you, too. And then all of a sudden, she says, can I ask you a question? And I'll never forget, the first time I met Taylor, I walk up to her, and I get to the table, and it's just like this, and she's sitting right here. And she's sitting down, and I'm talking to her. And, and she says, Pastor, am I, am I allowed to come to your church? I said, well, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, what do, you, what do you mean? Well, and then she begins to recount this story. She says, well, here's the issue. About two years ago, I started sleeping with my boyfriend. And, you know, one thing led to another. And then all of a sudden, and she goes like this. And I'm like, what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> and so I kind of follow her this, and I look around the table, and there down there is this little one-year-old, puffy-cheek little one-year-old with a little ponytail sticking out that you saw in the picture named Maddie. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. That's what this is. And she goes, well, am I allowed to come to your church? And I said, well, what do you mean? She says, well, here's the thing. I was at a church, and then a few of my friends from the church told me that because I had made a mistake and had sex and then had Maddie, I'm not allowed to go to church anymore. So I'm allowed to go to your church. Of course, I said, no way. Okay. <laughs> and she, she stops for a second, and I stopped for a second, and I looked at her, and I actually had tears well up, and I said, are you kidding me? This little girl right here is a blessing that's designed from God. Regardless of whatever you've done, God's always about restoration, not about perfection, but about progression. You have second chances in his name. This is your moment, and gosh darn it, if you don't have a family to support you, we're gonna support you, and we'll raise Maddie. We're gonna help you do this, because that's what the church is. That's what church does. Amen. And I saw her eyes, those brown eyes that were down, look like that, and they go like this, they go. And she gets so excited, and then it was phenomenal. I've never seen Joy hit that quick. I can be a part, what? It was like she had been sold a bunch of lives by a bunch of people, and I'm looking at this little girl and she's dancing around. That night, okay, not even joking, this is the same service, afterwards, she comes running up to me and she goes, Pastor Tony, can I ask you another question? I said, yeah. And then girls have this thing, I don't know what you do or how you do it, but like all of a sudden, your voice, when you get excited, goes higher and higher and higher and higher, and we're trying to keep up, and then you never watch women interact, guys, if you want to learn how to listen to your wife, just go higher and higher and higher. She's like, oh my gosh, I think that I could want to be in worship, I'm gonna be back I say no! And I'm like, whoa, you know what I'm talking about? And so, so I go, yeah, you want to sing, worship, what? Um, she's like, yeah, I think I can sing. So she, I go, well, fine, you love the Lord, right? You need your life to him? Yeah, everything. She's like, I go talk to James, the worship leader. So James takes her to the back corner, like back there, and he's playing this guitar. I'm watching kind of in the corner of my eye. This is after service. All of a sudden, I swear to you, women, I do not know how you do this. She did not run over to me. She flew over to me, and it was like that skip. I can't do it, I'm a guy, but it was like that like, like skipping, like prancing thing. <laughs> that will be online, too. And I'm sitting there looking at her, and she runs up, and her voice goes, high again. And I'm like, oh, okay. And she stops for a second, and things get quiet, and all of a sudden, tears begin to well up, and I'm, this sticks in my mind like it was yesterday. She looks up at me, and she says, Pastor, I, I had a dream last night. And my dream was that I was going to have the opportunity to sing and dance with Jesus this is it, this is it, this is it, this is it. And my mind went, oh my gosh, God, you are sovereign. You took this young girl who was in the midst of tragedy and trial, and in one night you gave her hope and redemption, and you spoke it into her. You told her the night before that this would be her moment. And I walked away from that going, oh my gosh. Two Fridays later, I'm sitting at home, and I get this phone call. And I'm like, all right, my phone's ringing off the hook. It's Friday night at 10 o'clock, and I'm thinking, I'm not going to answer that. I don't know who this number is. I finally pick it up because it's like the eighth time the number calls, and it's our worship leader's fiance named Julia. And she goes, hey, Pastor, sorry to bug you. And I said, yeah, what's going on? And she goes, do you got a chance to know a girl named Taylor? I said, no, it doesn't ring a bell. And then she goes, well, you know, the girl with brown hair, I said, doesn't ring a bell. Brown eyes, I don't know. And she says, well, the one that has like a one-year-old little cute dot." And I said, oh, Yeah. And she begins to tell me before the cell phone cut out, she goes, well, well, she, they, had to, you know, they had to go to Fontana Hospital. And I'm like, well, what happened? She says, well, they got in a really bad car accident. The baby's okay. And she's at the hospital. And I begin to have right then this argument with God. And I go pick up Noah, and we go driving out to this hospital. And the whole time, I go back to this dusty road conversation with God. And I'm like, Lord, okay, hold on a second. I don't know what's going on at the hospital, but you just brought this girl back to you. Listen to me, God. And we began to get into it. And if you think you don't get angry with God in times of trial, then I would tell you that you're, you're, you're probably not telling the truth, because there are times that you go, Lord, this does not make sense to me. I do not understand this. And he and I were having it out. I never told Noah that, but in my head, I was having issues. And I'm, I'm humble. I'm broken. He's the king of kings. I'm not going to question him. But there are times where I'm like, God, this just does not seem fair. And I remember getting close to the hospital as I began to just pray and said, God, whatever your glory is, whatever your will is done, we want to be there for her and love her and pray with her and for Maddie too. And I'll tell you the rest of her story in a second. But look at verse 6. Jesus sits there and he looks at this man after saying that God's works were going to be displayed. You see what happens? Verse 6, he says, and when he said this, Jesus then spat on the ground and he made clay of the spit and he applied the clay to the guy's eyes. Look at verse seven. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and, and then he came back seeing. There's the miracle. And therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, hey, is, wait a second. Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? So all of a sudden the neighbors and the religious leaders in the city wakes up and goes, hold on, something amazing happened here. Now, if you don't know the backstory on this, picture it for a second with me, Okay. Jesus walked by, comes back, looks down at this man on the side of the road. and he sat down probably somewhere and kneeled, and he looks at this guy. And, G- and Jesus says, okay, guys, God's works are going to be displayed. And then he reaches down, and he grabs this dirt, okay, dusty, nasty dirt, like you're all holding in your little hands in those little bags. And, and, and he takes it, and it's dry, and the little dust devils are blowing all around, and suddenly he spits. Now, now a lot of us go, ooh, you remember when you were a little kid in junior high and people would fake spit on you by doing this sound? <laughs> and you're like, oh! And then all of a sudden he stops and he begins to rub it together and he makes this little clay like spit material and he reaches up and here's the man with his scraggly beard and brokenness and dry and he begins to rub it on. And all of us go, oh gosh, what are you doing, Lord? Now this man didn't know what was happening. Do you remember he can't see? He's just sitting there hoping for some food and some scraps in the middle of the hardest time of his life in tragedy, never loved, never cared for and suddenly this man's kneeling in front of him and rubbing stuff on his eyes. Now scholars believe a few different options. You know, some that he was making a point to the Pharisees. Some that God, he was trying, you know, aligning himself in the ordination process with God who at creation took dust and made it into man. Some people believe it was remedial, like a health, you know, uh, uh, you know fixation. I, I don't think it was. You know, Jesus can snap his fingers and make people better. He didn't have to rub clay on there. You see what he was doing? That man had never, ever, think about this. He's sitting there blind holding out his cup. He had never, ever, ever seen his mother's face. I mean, close your eyes for a second and think about it. You'd never seen your mom's loving face, no sensitivity. Friends had never been there for you or been close to you. You'd been left by society on the side of a road. You'd never seen a sunrise or a sunset. You'd never played with any friends and had anyone that loved you when you were little. You weren't able to play in the streets. You couldn't get a job. And all of a sudden, this man maybe for the first time in his life is actually touching him in a very compassionate way. And then all of a sudden, Jesus looks at him and he says, buddy, you have no choice now. You're kind of dirty. I don't care if you're apathetic. It's time for you to get up and go walk to the south side of the city a few miles past Hezekiah's tunnel to the pool of Siloam, and you're going to have to rinse it off. And he does. And can you picture the long walk? He has this cane, and people are watching him, and he's going through the buildings and the shelters, and he kindly finally finds it, and he has people direct him, and they take him down to this pool, and he splashes water, and all of a sudden, for the first time in this man's many years, he sees a gleam of light, or he sees in the reflection his own beard scraggly and hanging, and his own broken eyes, and he begins to look up, and this miracle transpires. Now, please do not miss what I'm about to say here. There will be times in your life where you are on the dusty road. But understand that there will also be times that you have to walk a long distance to see the miracle that God has for you. But don't miss the fact that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, before you have to make that walk, has said, I will get down on one knee, I will show you compassion, you will not walk that walk without the touch of the King of the universe on your eyes. You will be able to see beyond what you've ever been able to see. You will be able to hope beyond what you've been able to hope because you've been touched by the king. The journey is no longer desolate. It has purpose and meaning. The purpose and the meaning is no longer in this life. It is in the next one. The purpose and meaning no longer falls frail and empty on the ground. It now has a challenge to it. It has a beauty to it and a grace to it and a reason to it because you woke up one morning dark on a road and you wake up the next morning with the light pouring into your eyes no matter what happens because Jesus Christ touched you, because he loved you, because he cared enough to stop on that dusty road, get on one knee, and give you the time that only the king can give. Think about it. Romans 8:3035 30, says who will separate us from the love of Christ you've all heard this before think about it let it soak into your mind tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword For just as it is written, and think about what Paul's going through with a thorn in his flesh and being beaten, he says, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. In verse 36, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. In verse 37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Look at verse 38. And this is one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Will be able to separate us. From, think about this, okay? The dusty road, the pain, the tragedy, nothing will be able to separate me from the love of you, my king. Nothing will be able to separate me from that love. Your plan, your purpose, your beauty, eternity, nothing can get in the way of that, Lord. So I hand my life over to you and trust you fully and trust you completely. Do you take those verses? Do you circle them? Do you hold on to that little dirt road and say, God, this is your road. This is yours. I made the biggest mistake, one of the biggest mistakes in my life a couple of weeks ago my little son is two years old, and he is a monster child. He is. You think you have monster children? I win. And you know what? He has these, makes it even worse, these big blue eyes that look innocent. I'll show you a picture of him. Go ahead and look. I don't know if it's up there yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sweetie. Oh, yeah, you'll see. <laughs> and my son, named Ethan, is, is a loving, amazing guy when he's not getting told no. And I walk in one day and he's doing this thing, he's arching his back, he's doing the whole thing and I'm like, okay, and I just had had it and so I went ahead and I did and I'm not recommending this, in fact, I still grieve about it. I looked at Ethan and I said, okay, son, hey, buddy, talk to me. Dado's gonna have to go to work today but you need to be good for a mom and if you are, when I get home, we'll ride bikes together, big wheel, I promise. Say, yes, dad, hey, dad. And then I leave. I come back home, everything's happening, I get home late, I forget about it, don't think about it. He runs in before bedtime and goes, Bites! Oh, man, I'm sorry. The next day, a Saturday, I had to leave again. And this breaks my heart. I knowingly did it this time. I knew that I was just trying to, mitigating speech, pacify, just kind of chill out and let him do his thing, and I wanted to quiet him down. So I said, hey, buddy, listen, you've got to calm down right now. And if you do, you know how bribery works every time? You'll get ice cream, and then after that, you're going to get to go out by the pool. And he's like, poo, poo, poo. And I'm like, yeah, poo, poo, poo. And I knew that day I wasn't going to out of the pool. I had to take a nap. Yeah. You guys are like, if if you have a problem with that, email Chuck at Crossroads Church. So um, (laughs) I've always wanted this. So um, actually, don't email my boss. That is not good. And so I sit there for a second, and I look at Ethan, and I'm not, and this is just 100% I'm being honest and vulnerable with you guys. I, that night I went to bed, and you know what happened? I, I got home before bed that night, and he remembered the whole day. And he runs up to me, and he goes, "Shoes, shoes, shoes! Pool, pool, outside, outside!" And I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" And you know how the Holy Spirit just convicts you in those moments where you go, "What have I done? Here I lied to my two and a half year old." And you know, there's a part of us that thinks it doesn't matter, right? You know, two and a half—they're not going to. You know what? They do. I was starting a life of treachery. I mean, I'm going to try to lie again to calm. No, a Dad, is a Dad? Now, can you imagine this? Can you imagine if God? The creator of the universe, heaven, stars, Milky Way, galaxy, beyond everything that you and I know. Can you imagine if he made promises throughout scripture and promises in your life and then he didn't fulfill them? That is not God. That is a messed up father the same way that I am and can be. But God doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't make promises and not follow through. And when he says love cannot separate you from the miracle, the journey, the purpose, think about this for a second. Go all the way back in scripture. Do you remember Abraham? Abraham's the guy who walks out of his tent and God says, go ahead, leave the tent, look up at the stars. If you can number those stars, even if you can, that's how many descendants are gonna be. Do you know what happened? Go try to count the Jewish people today and their descendants. You can't because they number like the stars of the universe because God's promises, God's promises, God's promises. What about the fact that Moses, remember Moses? Guy who stood and all kind of nervous and couldn't talk and there's a burning bush. If a burning bush talks to you, you better do what it says But he sits. There there and he goes, oh well, I don't know if I can know you will do it, Moses. And you know, in history books today, every time you go back and you study them, there is this thing called the Exodus, where Israel was taken out of Egypt by whom? By the man Moses, because God's promises, God's promises, God's promises. There was this man named David. David was a little sixteen-year-old ruddy redhead kid that came running in from the field. You remember how that goes? I'm sure he runs in, and then God goes, "You will be king." He went, what, 20 years later? Guess what's known as the greatest line in Davidic and messianic history and lineage ever, the kingdom of David. What about Esther? What such a time is this? You will raise up and be the protector of my people. What about Paul? Remember Paul, in the middle of all his trial that we're reading about here in Romans, he, God said, you will be the one that takes my word and my truth and my hope and my gospel to the Gentiles. Well, mind you, we are Gentiles, and we are sitting here reading the truth, hope, and gospel through the gospel or the actual writings and epistles of Paul. That means that his promise is his promise is his promise. What about John 14. Jesus looks at his disciples, his followers, and says, I am going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you in the heavens, and where I go you might be also. He's he's up there right now making this mansion of gold, and it's got a big Tony Wood stuck on it, and you know how excited I am about that? But it's not just me. For everyone that follows him, he's up there preparing these beautiful mansions that knows just what kind of kitchen you want, what kind of bathroom, I don't think you'll need one, what kind of sink, everything that you're gonna have, the refrigerator, the size of it, everything, the family room with the 8,800, 8,000 square inch TV, everything is up there right now. Why? Because his promise is his promise is his promise. He's never made a promise that he didn't keep. not gonna start now, he's not gonna forget you, he's not gonna look at you and go, no, you're different. He says, I know your name, what's in your heart, I designed you in the womb, this same miracle, this same process is the same one that I can give when it comes to your tragedy, your pain, and your distress. Do you trust in the promises, crossroads, of an amazing God, of a huge God? Do you really trust him? Do you really? How big is our God? How big? You know, we come in here and sing how great is our God or the stand and we sit here with arms raised, but but hold on a second. Is he is he big, big? You you walk that dusty road. Are you ready at the end for what God has for you? Are you a living testament of his purpose? Do you trust the promise of God? You know, I know it's easy as a preacher to come up here and, like, and, and rant and rave. I'm going to ask myself, I mean, let's take one second. I mean, let it, let, it, <clears throat> let it go silent for a second. I mean, some of you are in here and you're eight or nine. Some of you are in here at 30 and going through financial issues. Some of you are in here at 40 or 50, 60 and going through health issues. What? Do you really, 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 really trust? I mean, do you really believe it? Because if we really believe it, it's going to change everything. It's going to change everything about us. Look at the climax of the story in verse 24 after this man runs back and he's been healed. Look what it says. It says that the religious leaders all gather around and they begin calling this guy to stand in front of their councils because they cannot understand what happened. They're frustrated because it happened on the Sabbath day. They're frustrated because they just wanted to stone Jesus and they're so upset with this guy. And in verse 24, it says, a second time, they called the man who had been blind. And they said to him, give glory to God, we already figured out that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And look at verse 25. He looks at them in the eye and he says, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. There is only one thing that I know. Can you picture the strength of this man after this miraculous healing? He says, the one thing that I know is that I was blind and now I see. On the side of the dusty road, you remember what Jesus had said? He had said, God's works are gonna be revealed here. God's works are gonna be revealed here. Guys, watch this. The man goes. The man becomes able to see, and now he's standing in front of the religious leaders, and do not miss this. He stands in front of them, not only there, but in the testament of history itself in the oracles of scripture, also in the greatest song ever written, Amazing Grace, with this one-line testimony that sticks in all of our mind. I was blind, but now I see. He looks at them, and he goes, I don't know everything about Jesus. I don't know everything about him. I can tell you I was blind, but now I see. I do not know where he came from or what he's doing. I don't know the theology. I was blind, but now I see. I don't know tradition. I was blind, but now I see. I do not know why I was on the road or where God was at the time. I know I was blind, but now I see. He says, I do not understand why pain and tragedy hit. I was blind, but now I see. I do not understand why I was chosen, but I was blind, but now I see. And I don't understand why you're wanting to pursue this guy, but I was blind, but now I see. Do you realize the same thing happens with us? When we wake up and say, I don't get it all, God, I do not understand why this happened, but I know where you are, you are right here, and I was blind, and now I see. God, I do not know each of the long-term, eternal aspects of your nature, but God, I was blind, and now I see. I'm gonna ask you to take that little bag today, that dusty road, whatever your tragedy and pain and suffering is, the thing in the side of your heart right now that you have a hard time even looking at because it's so real. And I'm gonna ask that you choose to make that dusty road an eternal testament of God's amazing providence, plan, and purpose. See, I pulled up to the hospital with Taylor, and I, I remember kind of running in, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm gonna go like all like ER style on here, even though the show's over now. And they're gonna give me a white jacket. And I'm going to run in and say, O2 MIGs of CO12 and all that stuff. And you know how, guys, we get this heroic kind of thing here. And as I finish the story, I'm going to ask that for the next 10 minutes of our service, because they're so critical, that everyone, just, just listen, don't distract anyone, just, just listen and tune in with me, because this story, even to today, is emotional for me. I'm going to ask that this is critical. So please stay still. But think about this for a second. I walk in, and Noah's with me, and I get to that glass, um, that glass shield thing they have, and they wouldn't let me in, and I'm like, hello, I'm out here, Taylor Evans, through the little speaker, and they're like, okay, relax, dude, and finally the head nurse walks out, and I remember her in her little button-down coat and everything, and she's looking at me, and then I, I, she opens those doors, and I walk through, and I'm like, hi, I'm here for Taylor Evans, I'm her pastor, and she looks at me, and I'm not even joking, she goes, you're a pastor? I said, yeah, I know, a shaved head, whatever, I'm a pastor, okay? Can I have a card? I'm like, no, I don't have a card. And she looks at me and asks all these questions, and then all of a sudden her smile just goes like this, and her eyes light up, and she's like, I knew it, I knew it, and I'm like, what? She goes, Taylor's a Christian, and I'm like, yeah. And she goes, I knew it because when she when she came in, we were holding hands, and she was telling me all about Jesus, and she had this bright smile on her face and everything. And she's telling me all this, and then she's telling me about her life story. I'm not even joking. I'm sitting there like, okay, please let me in this place. And she's like, Oh, I love Harvest and Greg Glory. I'm like, I don't care. And she's going crazy, and she's telling me her whole story where she went to church and that. And there came this moment where I didn't let it come out, but my mind kind of said, um, Lady, I love you in Christ. But if you don't let me in that room, I'm going to go all WWE on the side. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just picturing myself, you know, like, ah. and I just, I remember with Noah, Noah probably will remember this. We're sitting there and I'm like, I'm like, lady, I, I love you. I need to see Taylor and pray with her right now. I got to go. And I started to push past her. And, you know, that even to today, this is hard to say. And I, I just please be patient with me. I remember her face, it's weird, I remember her black hair, her face as I said that, I said, I need to, and these words came out where she said, oh, you mean you don't know, and I know what we're all thinking, and I thought the same thing, my mind, I'm not that dumb, and I I started to go like this, and I started to trigger, and I swear to you, the next two minutes of whatever she was saying, I don't even remember except just bits of it, because I went into that battle with God again. I thought, okay, Lord, I do not know what's going on right now. I don't get this. But God, you're sovereign. God, you're big. God, this is hard. And I just, and I remember these snippets of, Ash, it came out, she said, well, she, the, the, the car that came, she pulled out in front, it t-boned her. Maddie was fine. She began to describe it to me. She said, and then in the airlift, everything looked fine, but her body had only 110 pounds. We didn't know there was internal bleeding inside. And, and so, and she begins to describe this to me. And she's like, so I was with her when we were here in the hospital. And then these words came out. And I, to today, it's like slow motion. You know that? Those things in your life, those moments where things kind of just slow down. And she looks at me and she goes, But can I tell you something? And I'm like, Well, yeah. And she goes, I was holding on to her hands. And I looked into her brown eyes. And I know the moment, Pastor, that Taylor went to be with Jesus. I saw it. She was so at peace, she was so beautiful. And all of a sudden, it's as like, as like, like chimes, like a ringing bell. I swear the Holy Spirit put this in my mind. Like it, it, it's clear as day. My eyes closed. And I suddenly saw Taylor bounding up to me two Wednesdays ago. And I, the Holy Spirit put these words in my mind. They're still there today where she said, Pastor, God gave me a dream. He told me that I'm going to get to dance and I'm going to get to sing with Jesus. And the thing that all of us thought was going to be on worship team, God meant I'm going to bring my little girl home. And I know even today she sits in heaven dancing and singing with Jesus the way her heart wants to. But please don't miss what I'm about to say. In the middle of her greatest tragedy, God loved her enough to step in, speak her name, and touch her eyes. Because that's the way he is. And you might say, you know, Tony, I'm on that dusty road. I'm far from God, I'm hurting, I'm not close to God. Do you realize that Jesus says, I want as I pass you by, I'm not gonna pass you by, I am gonna stop on one knee, I am gonna look at you, I'm gonna allow you to see this is a time where you and I do this journey together. It might be hard, it might be cumbersome, it might be trial, but you can have a purpose beyond everything because I give it to you. Because I give it to you. The question today is this, You came in one way. Will you leave with him? Will you leave with Jesus? Let's bow our heads and pray together. Holy Spirit, I want to ask that right now you will just, as everyone contemplates for a second in quietness and looks inside their own heart, I want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll begin to touch people. Lord, I don't know everyone in this room. I know we're family. I don't know other names, but you do. You know the tragedy. You know the dusty roads. You know the hurt. But God, I want to ask right now that you will just grab them, Lord, that they will know this is their moment to respond to you. Holy Spirit, the creator of the universe, now you're intimate and you're here, and I ask that you touch them, that they know it's your call. Lord, I pray that right now many will say yes to you. Right now, with every head bowed, I'm about to pray a prayer. And this prayer is so simple and so succinct and I I just want to explain what it is. It's a prayer where you say yes to God. It's a prayer where you say yes to Jesus. You say, Lord, I'm yours. Whatever I'm going through, I want to walk with you. I want to go to that pool. I want to have my eyes clean. I want to make sure that there's a miracle in my life of purpose with you. Think about this. If this is your moment to pray this prayer though, I want to know that I'm praying it with you. I'm going to lead it and I'm going to ask that you follow me. I know it takes courage. I know that there's times where you're sitting here thinking, is this me? You'll know if it's you because God will be so clear. Say, Jesus Christ, Son of God. I admit that I'm, I'm not as close to you as I need to be. I have some pain and hurt in my life. I've got some failure in my life. But I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the grave for me. And I believe that like that blind man, you're gonna give life to me. So right now I say yes to you. I reach out and I follow your instructions as I begin this journey, God, of a life that I'm gonna live with you. I hand you everything I am. I ask you to make me all that you've called me to be, and give me the life that you've called me to live. I'm yours. And I pray this in your name, God, truthfully and honestly, and with all that I am in your name, and I say, amen. Praise God for everyone that prayed that prayer right now.
1: Thank you. Before the founding of this nation, there have been men and women that sacrificed their lives on the premise that our freedoms needed to be guaranteed regardless of the cost. These men and women did not make this sacrifice for self gain or for their own rewards. Their sacrifice was for the greater cause, freedom for all. Whether it was a private standing guard in the freezing rain at Valley Forge, a rifleman at Bunker Hill, a naval marine at Yorktown, freedom was the overriding thought. There have been many such heroes since the founding of this nation, although the term Memorial Day has been around since 1882. It was not declared an official name until 1967 when the Congress of the United States established Memorial Day as a time of remembrance. This is the one time during the year when we are to remember the men and women of the five uniformed services that have died in mortal combat, defending your freedom and my freedom. This time is specifically set aside to remember that young man that was going to help his dad on the farm. Ended up driving a tank in Germany, was hit by a Nazi 88, killing him and his crew. Or there was a fresh kid out of high school who was a tough kid, became a Marine, waded through the surf to the beach on a remote island of Tarawa, losing his life while protecting his wounded buddy. Or the young woman who gave up her lucrative career to become a nurse, held that army guy that was wounded from a chest wound, ultimately dying in Tain In Province in Vietnam. Or the young man recently married, driving a supply truck on his last trip to Anwar province in Iraq, was blown up by a roadside bomb. Here at Crossroads, we have several families that have had to endure this tragic occurrence. The memorial in the foyer is a tribute to those that have died and their commitment to living to a higher cause. Remember them. Please be seated. On the screen behind us is a moving portrait of the two aspects of an ultimate sacrifice. The title of the painting is Return to Cinder. The artist is Katie Pershing. In the lower right-hand side, we see the situation that some of our Crossroads families have had to endure. More importantly to us as Christians was a sacrifice that Jesus made. He voluntarily took on all of our sins, yours and mine, and gave us the ultimate in freedom. In the military vernacular, he took a bullet that was meant for each and every one of us. As we remember these members of the armed forces and their sacrifices, let us not forget Christ and his sacrifice.